Rachel, and, and we're, we're the, the Barclays. Barclays. This is our podcast about religion, culture, politics, how all three mix. And today uh, we are covering a heavy topic. But before we get to that, I did want to plug the email, the excellent email Rachel crafts every week, which synthesizes some of the points in the podcast, includes articles or images we've referenced. Yes, if you can't get enough of us and you think, (laughs) what else are they thinking? Can I get the links to this? Actually, we don't editorialize a lot. It's mostly just the show notes from this podcast. Yep. We've gotten good feedback from it. So sign up. It's in the podcast show notes. A link you can click to sign up. Easy. So easy. So as I said before, we were discussing a heavy topic today, one we wish we didn't have to talk about. Uh, mass shootings and gun control. As you may know, in Atlanta on March 16th, there was a shooting at three different locations that killed eight people. In Boulder, Colorado, on March 22nd, there was a shooting at a grocery store that killed 10 people. There's a longer history of mass shootings, sadly, an average of 19 per year over the last, I think, 10 years or so. And mass shootings are defined as incidents where four people or more are killed, not including the shooter. Uh, It's important to note as well that 99% of gun deaths are not mass shootings. Mm -hmm. I read that there were 267 gun deaths uh, I think homicides, not even counting suicides in Chicago last year, Chicago alone. Wow. And this is just, it's incredibly sad. That's, I think, the place we want to start. And we, mm-hmm. in this podcast, we, as you may know, we talk about the Christian response to the topic at hand. And I think that should be the Christian response to these tragedies, these acts of evil, more than just tragedies. Yeah. Yeah. And to that end, wanted to read a psalm, a part of a psalm. And the psalms are a collection of uh, poems in the middle of the Bible. And they're just rich with real feelings, mm-hmm. real life. Uh, and then when we were going through our trial last uh, couple summers ago, in 2019, they were a real source of strength for me because they're not pat. They're expressions of happiness and sadness and everything in between. So Psalm 94, I think, was apt to lament and mourn these tragic incidences and acts of evil. So Psalm 94, the first seven verses. O Lord, the God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, let your glorious justice shine forth. Arise, O judge of the earth, give the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? How long will they speak with arrogance? How long will these evil people boast? They crush your people, Lord, hurting those you claim as your own. They kill widows and foreigners and murder orphans. The Lord isn't looking, they say, and besides, the God of Israel doesn't care. Hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you you read that, Taylor. Um, that awoken me just this feeling of injustice and anger at evil existing Mm -hmm. and walking among us and uh destroying families and lives that 
is a really good way to start this discussion. Um, you know, I think if I'm honest, sometimes I see these stories pop up in the news and maybe I take a second, um, and mm. think, wow, not again or something like that. But I think I've just become a little, uh, sometimes numb to yeah. the tragedies that come across the, the news screens. Um, yeah. and so I think it's really good to stop and mourn and feel the injustice and think about those people and those families. Yeah. It can be pretty overwhelming to face that in addition to the, yeah. the realm of other sufferings and evil actions happening in the world. I mean, these are by no means the only evil things yeah, happening. Right. And I should say out the gate as well that you, we don't want any mass shootings to happen, any shootings, any needless death of any kind, whether right. guns are involved or not. But how do we get that? Are there, is mm. there some solution we can find, maybe a policy tweak, maybe a cultural tweak, maybe some radical policy solution? Hmm. Right out the gate, I think, you know, we so in this discussion, I think we also want to talk about just the context in which these things happen, the the cultural responses, the political responses. And hmm. it's just it's it it's worth noting that, you know, right out the gate we jump to our teams. I think David French put that in his newsletter, the hmm. you know, who who's wearing the red jersey, who's wearing the blue jersey. Um, like people are ready to respond with what they yes. think and understandably, right. You, right. you have a emotional reaction to a terrible tragedy. And yes, I think people are mostly coming from the right place on this, right? Oh yeah. Like everyone totally. wants a solution yep. and they think that theirs is the right one. And I think, or wants to do something who even right. knows if people know whether their solution's right or wrong. They just want to do totally, something. Totally. And that's coming from a good place, I think, no matter where it's what it's offered. And, you know, that reaction, too, is, I think, happening in, a con happening in the context in America in particular where gun control as an issue, so the policy solutions, and think cultural, too, we'll get to that a little later, but gun control as a policy solution is highly polarized and sorted. Hmm. I was talking with a polling expert at work. I had to do some polling and survey work and we were trying to model like basically predictive demographics to predict, you know, if someone say is suburban, what will they think about X issue? And the polling expert was saying the gold standard is on second amendment gun control issues. So if you say get a, Republican voter, you can model with near 100% accuracy their views on a Second Amendment or gun control issue. Or if you start with like a gun control issue, you can model with near 100% accuracy where they like what their political affiliation will be. And same with Democrats, right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right or left. It's so. Wow. That's, what, that's what we mean by sorted. Like it's the gold standard for predicting how you're going to fall politically. Right. Right. Huh. I, I think you know. So with that in mind, we also wanted to say we were. We came into this topic with reticence and humility and fear, even because it's so charged in right. our culture. Y'all, we should say this is a, a sidebar that, in general, this podcast is a stretching exercise for us. True. <laughs> um, Taylor and I like to, we don't like to, um, I don't know, make people angry. We and, don't. Uh, stir the pot, nope. necessarily. Um, 
So this is, yeah, it's all a stretching exercise. So here we are. <laughs> We're stretching. Oh, boy. So talking about policy first, so kind of getting to that gut reaction, what fixes can we have? There are a lot of gun control rules in place at the federal level, the state level, the mm -hmm. local level. Background. Right. It's not the Wild West out there. Correct. Correct. Um you know, having lived in California and Washington, D.C., been aware of very strict uh, gun control regulations. You know, I think D.C. and California had magazine capacity limitations, background check requirements. You know, talking in the context of uh, Boulder, Colorado, Boulder had an assault weapons ban that I think was recently it was overturned 10 days before this tragedy. Um, of course the, uh, the shooter in that case did not live in Boulder. Yeah. And I was, I was looking about what were Colorado's, um, gun violence laws and Colorado has universal background checks, a red flag laws, uh, laws to keep guns out of domestic abusers hands and a ban on high capacity magazines. So they have a decent amount of, these gun control laws mm -hmm. that a lot of people are calling for on the federal level in response by the federal level level i mean in congress in right. response to this shooting yeah Di senator diane feinstein introduced a bill a couple weeks ago actually an assault weapons ban president biden of course called for an assault weapons ban and a ban on high capacity magazines so these would be magazines where you put bullets and then you load it into the the gun limiting it to probably 10 rounds or bullets if you want to be casual about the nomenclature. This is a good kind of sidebar, Taylor, to ask you about. I think I think we read in the media, you hear these terms thrown around, AR-15, assault weapons ban. Right. Um, I think there, you know, a lot of these articles are written by the coastal elites, one might say. Yes. And so many of them probably didn't grow up in gun culture and don't really even have an idea about what these different types of guns are and what, what the difference is. Um, could you talk a little bit about that and what um, what is meant by that? Yeah, I won't run through all the definitions. Probably <laughs> yeah, Tell us what every single <laughs> one is. I don't know them all, but I think it's worth spending some time when you do see a term that you don't understand looking it up. Um, if you're unfamiliar yourself and I, you know, this you've hinted at the, I think a major issue in a gun control discussion is this gulf between frankly, like rural and urban populations, just generally speaking, the rural populations being more familiar with firearms. It's maybe sporting, hunting, uh, target shooting. Uh, so people have just grown up or have been around firearms much more than people who've maybe been raised or live in urban settings um, above us in above and in socioeconomic statuses. So there's just this gulf of familiarity, I think a lack of understanding from both sides, like where each side is coming from, each set of population. So when we're talking about uh, you know these two recent shootings, uh, a pistol was reportedly used in Atlanta, nine millimeter. So the the rounds were on the smaller side, 
and then in rounds meaning bullets yeah it's a bullet is the the lead part typically lead within a casing where which contains the gunpowder and the primer which fires the bullet out so we refer to those collectively all those pieces together as a round um and then in colorado i think there was one ar-15 style rifle and one an ar style pistol so it fired the same round size round as the rifle but didn't have a fully extended stock which is the part that goes against the shoulder Hmm. and had a shorter barrel Hmm. and ar rachel you looked this up yeah does not stand for automatic rifle it stands for armalite which was the brand that mm-hmm. originally made the AR-15 back in the 50s, I yeah, think. Yeah, when the military was looking for a new rifle to deploy to use with their soldiers, which turned into the M-16, which the M-16 in the 60s and 70s was fully automatic, which means, and if you say fully automatic or automatic, that means you hold the trigger and all the rounds are expended until the magazine is empty. Semi-automatic, which is the vast majority of civilian accessible rifles, including AR-15s, you pull the trigger once, one round comes out, you pull the trigger again, another round comes out. Without reloading? Well, until the magazine is empty. Right. But but you don't have to reload every time like you would a old-fashioned shotgun. Like right. you don't have to stick a new bullet in every time. So, yeah, there's all sorts of mechanisms by which rounds go into the chamber and then are fired. So semi-automatic, it's doing it on its own. You don't have to do anything extra besides pull the trigger. A pump-action shotgun, say, you have to pull the trigger, pump, which loads another round into the chamber, and then you pull the trigger, a round comes out. The bolt action, if you've seen old movies from, say, World War One, depicting those rifles where you're, you manually have to pull a lever to you know, eject the shell and put a new round in the chamber. So, you know, that's just this this common language is lost because of this divide mm-hmm. in the culture. Uh, so that's just something that's really important to remember in these discussions, we think. Uh, we also wanted to note just uh, 2020, gun purchases were way up, like 40% mm-hmm. compared to years prior. COVID-19, just general social unease. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 million firearms were purchased in 2020 alone. 5 million of those purchases were first-time buyers. And this is based on background check data mm. an estimate black americans bought 58 percent more mm. firearms than before the year prior women 40 percent more than usual uh, and then there are estimated 400 million firearms in the u.s it's pretty ubiquitous yeah pretty ubiquitous um so just there's so many contextual things to keep in mind here uh i mean we we do want to talk about the role of media in yeah. covering mass shootings, we think it often wrongly focuses on the shooter instead of the victims. Yes. I saw a really moving, um, I guess cartoon seems like a crass word, but it was uh, children welcoming this man, Aaron Feiss, who saved the lives of a bunch of children in the Sandy Hook shooting. Hmm. And I'd never heard his name before. Wow. Instead, we're talking about the the crazy guy. Right. Who perpetrated the crime and not celebrating the heroes. And we saw a bit of that, I guess, celebration of the, the officer who lost his life in the Boulder mm-hmm. shooting, who did what he could to protect people. Um, but 
I've seen some people in the media trying to get better. Um, there's this Instagram media account I follow called Smart Her News, which I would highly recommend. And she made a point not to say the shooter's names. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that was very important. I've been really yeah. struck uh, for a couple years ago, Malcolm Gladwell. Is he a social scientist, sociologist? He's just a writer. Anyway, he's really good. I think he's a sociologist. He does his research and has probably a whole team of people now helping him. But. Yeah. And he, he finds interesting angles on these kind of social problems. And he wrote about kind of the um, virality of, mm-hmm. by going viral, of uh, violence. Or contagion. And, yeah, like a contagion. And where every act of violence makes the next one slightly more likely was what he was finding. Yeah. Um, we'll link to this article or his TED his talks about and there's it. There's other research that backs that up too. Yes. Um, and I think the the news coverage, right, it kind of, um, without meaning to glorify it, I don't think these journalists are meaning to glorify it by showing these shooters' faces or right. going into their whole backstory of what caused it or whatnot. Um, but by this, this media coverage, it um, is just kind of shown to psychologically make the next shooting more likely. Yeah. I think that is something we can be doing and should be doing is holding the media accountable, maybe not giving it the, the, the 24 seven attention that it's presented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's basically, you can enforce that on your own basis as an individual. You can, as a community turn to other topics, um, which, you know, you and I have talked about this, like why, there's kind of this, we have this fascination with this senseless evil almost. And it's mm-hmm. this kind of grotesque fascination. You, Rachel, you called it the Joker. Yeah. That's what like, you know, the obsession Joker with movies appeal. like the Joker, the really, the dark villain hero kind of. Yeah. That I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it feels like culturally has become more in vogue than it ever has been. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe maybe it's just this kind of evil dark side of or a dark side of human nature, um, but I, I just think it's become more prevalent. Um, and yeah, this kind of Jokerization I'd like to see go. <laughs> and I think you used the word glorified the other day, which you know we so media glorifying these acts of evil not in the sense of saying they were good but just in holding them up and providing so much attention to them mm-hmm. uh we should be acknowledging the victims mourning the victims acknowledging the people who did what they could to help the, the great mr rogers look for the helpers mm-hmm. response um yeah so th- there is that just you know kind of we can't look away. We do it, 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 it. Like this whole issue, right? Is we wrestle with it because it just see, it's so sen- it seems so senseless. It seems so random, um, and we it, there's this feeling of helplessness almost. It's it's like nihilism. Hmm. Like here's out of nowhere this person who maybe I would have interacted with somewhere and it would have been fine, but now that like they took the lives of eight people or ten people or forty people, yeah, uh, it's it's baffling. It's mystifying, right? So we can hold the media accountable, I think, through our actions and just how we treat treat these incidents. Right, right. Well, and so that brings us to 
the really difficult, sticky topic of would gun control actually help? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, going back to Malcolm Gladwell and his research on this, I mean, he kind of says it's so complex that gun control is not, it, unfortunately, it's not an easy answer like that. Um, not that gun control in how it would be acted out is actually an easy thing to do. Right. Um, but there, Taylor, can you kind of, if, if people say, will gun control make this all go away? What would you say to that? We have a lot of rules in place now and it hasn't Mm -hmm. like clearly there's something up. It might be the rules, but we have a lot of rules in place. It's a heavily regulated, um, I guess, what do you call it? Industry activity set of products. I mean, DC has very, very strict heavy gun control. And I think this last year, I mean, the, gun violence has skyrocketed yeah remember uh and it was it october 2019 yeah in dc we had like a chase there was a car chase on our street uh, and someone was firing a pistol out the window at the car in front of them yeah bullet holes all in the cars yeah parked in front of our house so and then you have proposals like assault weapon vans which you know defining what an assault weapon is is very very difficult um you know, descriptions include things with pistol grips and barrel shrouds. And sometimes they describe just a, a weapon that has like, it just is made of black metal and plastic, but then there will be the exact same functioning firearm that has like a wood, wooden parts and a metal barrel. And it does the same exact thing, but it falls outside the ban. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to do those definitions. And then you have, you know, of course, the vast majority of gun deaths are homicides, suicides, accidents, hmm. and most of those are pistols, hmm. so wouldn't count as assault weapons. And I was reading Every Town, their website, they had a really great set of facts, I thought. Uh, 17% of mass shootings, incidents where four people or more die, uh, are committed with what were, they would define as assault weapons, and then the rest were pistols. Hmm. The vast majority were pistols. Well, only seventeen percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I think the high capacity magazines would might be worth looking into, but the details are, you know, they're they're different in every case. And well, and that in Colorado that was banned. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because we said it was a fifteen round. Yeah. Capacity mm-hmm. limit. Right. So it's really frustrating <laughs> because in sad, uh, I'm, we're not, I don't know. I'm not saying there's nothing to be done, but you know, in all these discussions too, in the American context, we do have to reckon with the second amendment, which comes after the first amendment, uh, securing freedom of speech, association, and religion. Second amendment I've heard described as a bulwark to those things, hmm. natural liberty that is God given from nature and the second amendment is protecting government infringement on that Liberty. So any kind of proposal, I think, and, you know, as we've seen the Supreme court and other courts trying to thread that needle right between security and Liberty. And it's a constant, uh, you know, give and take and discussion. So I think if there are guns in the American context, we tend to fall more on the side of personal liberty than security. Right. I mean, especially with the second amendment, that's, 
you know, it's, it's been interpreted fairly strictly mm-hmm. um, and more and more strictly. So I think there is onus on those who pro- policymakers who propose heavier gun control restrictions to explain why it's worth that trade-off. And this is kind of generally speaking, any right. any policy where they're going to take away a personal liberty, there better be pretty heavy evidence on their side. Yeah. So maybe we should kind of start to wrap up here on this topic just by t- talking about the Christian response. Yeah, yeah. I, I Definitely we will talk about that. But I wanted to say one other thing sure, sure, about... Sure. Um, the history of gun rights, this is both in America and globally, um, is that the proponents of uh, personal firearm ownership have often been the oppressed, and we yeah, that's true. We don't yeah. think about that. Um, there, we'll put these true. in the show notes. In the uh, in, I remember in 2011 there was this really great article in the Atlantic about kind of the history of the gun rights movement, hmm. and. Very surprisingly, it starts with who really kicked off the gun rights movement was the Black Panther Party in Mm. California because they thought that this was the only way to secure their liberty for being uh, truly oppressed. Um, You know, and of course, there was that divide between the Black Panther Party and Martin Luther King Jr. and nonviolence versus violent, um, you know, standing up against oppressive powers. Right. Um, but it, it was very important to the Black Panther Party. They trained people who were part of the party mm. in gun ownership and use. Mm. Um, so that's just, you know, that's a huge example of, um, you know, why having guns and uh, why it's important for the vulnerable. Right. Um, and then, you know, I've talked about my own family history. So my, yeah. um, Grandmother was a refugee from communist oppression in Lithuania and kind of the story of the Baltic countries is they were some of the last holdouts against Hmm. uh, communist oppression because they had underground freedom fighters who I think the last one was found in Estonia in like the 70s. (laughs) They fought that long, (laughs) decades of guerrilla warfare. Um, And they called them the Forest Brothers. And, you know, they would not have been able to stand up against oppression had they not had Hmm. firearms. Um, So, you know, there there is a case for the vulnerable and the oppressed here. And you think about, you know, women against... Uh, you know, violent partners or yep. um, they're any, anyhow, that's kind of a, a, a case for personal gun ownership. Yeah. That's an important point. And just the history of government oppression generally. Uh, it's easy to forget, I think in our context. And that is the context of the second amendment. Right. Exactly. That yeah. is kind of the whole purpose. And, you know, I, I, critics say of the second amendment that, well, if we did have an authoritarian government that came rolling in with our tanks, then there's not much a bunch of individuals with guns could do. But it's kind of this, like, I think you said the word bulwark is a good hmm. visual of, well, 400 million, you know, guns out there in the country will give an authoritarian leader a little bit of pause, even if they do have tanks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I mean... We'll see where the culture goes, and like, I mean, I'm not saying we're there that 
we're on the precipice. No, 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 of no, no. certainly not, certainly not, certainly not. But yeah, that's that is the context in which the Second Amendment happened. I think we are not free from history, right? <laughs> by any means now, um, and all those things you've talked about are worth keeping in mind in this discussion. And I think you talking about the, you know, maybe Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, kind of Black Panther, Martin Luther King division kind of gets into maybe the Christian response here, Mm -hmm. especially in the regard to self-defense, which is the number one reason people give for owning a firearm, at least in the last few years. I think 50 years ago it was hunting, but then it started flipping to self-defense. As a Christian, you know, this is a debated topic, right? Mm-hmm. You know, pacifism versus uh, right to self-defense or maybe like a just war. Augustine was famous for talking about just war uh, theory. So I don't think anywhere in Christianity will you find an endorsement of anything like mass shootings or violence against uh, the vulnerable. I think if there is, it's not Christian. <laughs> uh, but there is a debate and room, I think, in the church and Christian response to rightly hold, I think either position or somewhere in between of, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, you could have the position, I'm a Christian, we have a firearm in the house to protect our family, or I'm a Christian and I want to fully trust God for our protection and just don't think it's in my hands to maybe potentially end a life. That's the, that's the real question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you own a firearm for self-defense. Yeah, and it's, it's again, one of those things. I mean, this is kind of becoming a theme as we talk about these sticky issues on the podcast of um, Christian, how should Christian morality translate into mm. government action? You know, we've talked about this with a lot of different issues, but um, if you kind of look at the teachings of Jesus and you just look at the New Testament and you come down on more of the pacifist side and you say that, you know, Jesus said to turn the other cheek Mm -hmm. and, you know, at the end when they were arresting Jesus uh, before he was put to death on the cross, you know, he told his disciples after they went to defend him with a sword to lay down their swords. Um, And so if you see that and that leads you towards pacifism, I don't think that that still necessarily translates into, well, then that is how the Hmm. government should treat self-defense and weapons. Um, Just as we wouldn't say, well, Christian morality on sexual ethics would lead you to say that if somebody commits adultery, then they should be put in prison or whatnot. Heavily fined. Right, exactly. So I I think that there is room even if you fall on the pacifist side Hmm. to um say that there's a difference between individual morality and decisions as a christian and what the government should or shouldn't allow with personal liberty yep it's a great point should we transition to a lighter topic of stinkers and thinkers (laughs) we should rachel what's your (laughs) we have to pull ourselves out of this very deep mode here (laughs) All right. Um, all right. All right. We can I'll, do it. We can do it. I I'll go first Good. with my stinker of the week. I don't know if this will surprise you or not. Uh-oh. We Taylor and I, you know, find a like many married couples find a TV show we go through together. Mm-hmm. We just finished the first season of WandaVision. Oh. I'm gonna say it's my stinker. Wow. People really raved about it. People went on and on how great it was. Oh my gosh, the finale so right, great. Right, 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 right. Man, I thought it was a big stinker. I was 
<laughs> I was bored by it. And um, if if you don't want a spoiler, then you should turn the podcast off right now. Cause I'm going to give a spoiler. So the end, the whole like wrap up where it gets into the stuff about witches and she's a witch. Oh, and all yeah. This stuff. I thought that was... Oh, that was- terrible honestly i think i'm on the same page i really wanted to like it and i heard so many great things about the end i just utterly let down yeah maybe we missed something but big stinker it was just it turned into harry potter (laughs) yeah yeah we're here to watch superheroes not wizards totally okay taylor what is your stinker what is my oh the social dilemma (laughs) (laughs) i know it came out in september but it's still people still talk about it and if you've watched it, it's this documentary on Netflix about the ills of social media. It's bad. I wrote not one, but two <laughs> reviews of The Social Dilemma. I think this is your stinker every day. Stinker every day. <laughs> just get up every morning. I hate The Social Dilemma. It's just, it's utterly one-sided, presenting social media as the bane of humanity, the source of all evil, and that's certainly not the case. It doesn't have, it has two minutes of research in a 90-minute film, it has poor dramatization, extrapolating, uh, you know, certain concepts about technology. And, you know, I, I have a, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I, th- I think technology is great, but I think those people think more of technology than I do. They, they say like free will is being stolen from us that, you know, 50 programmers are controlling the thoughts of 2 billion people. What? <laughs> like, if that's the case, man, like... <laughs> What do you do it? Like you should be way richer <laughs> and you're not like you obviously took a different job. So, uh, it, it's, it's bad. Um, maybe we can, you've written lots of yeah, words on this. Lots of words. We'll talk definitely lots of words. link to that. Uh, do you want to talk about your thinker? Sure. Okay. Uh, my thinker, I just finished the book Pachinko and man, was it good. It the, is good. Especially the first half of the book. I could not put down. I read 200 pages in one day. That's right. In one day? In one oh, day. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had some childcare that day. So, you know, <laughs> I could read some more. Oh, my gosh. So good. I thought um, it delved into the story of um, basically like Japanese racism against Koreans. Um with and I, I didn't really even know the history of Japanese mm-hmm. colonialism and so it kind of opened my eyes to all of that history mm-hmm. and then talking about living in a foreigner in a foreign land and and then the character development was amazing I just I thought it was a really great book um I probably you know wouldn't have uh, read the back jacket and been like this is gonna be good but the oh, back man. jacket like Amazon description are terrible. Yeah, it was far better. So I think they're trying to get like the romance novel crowd. Yeah, it was definitely not not that. No. So if if that's deterring you, move past it. Read Pachinko. It was very good. Yep, I read it too. I liked it. <laughs> my, Taylor, what's your thinker? My thinker. I just can't get away from Batman. I guess on <laughs> a Batman kick, the Zack Snyder Justice League, <laughs> Zack Snyder cut for Justice League, whatever the title is on HBO Max. You're leaning into your superhero life. I am leaning, yeah, hardcore, uh, especially DC as a, opposed to Marvel. Although the the new, what's it called, Falcon and Winter Soldier Marvel show on Disney was fun. Anyway, Justice League, four hours. <laughs> I did not watch this I watched you. it in parts. It's it's actually neatly divided into parts. Um, 
And it was much better than the 2017 version, which Rachel and I saw in theaters. It was a bit of a... I wanted to like it more than I did. But this version, it felt like reading a you know 400-page comic graphic novel. It had that same pace in a lot of ways. Uh, characters were great. Lots much more character development. Of course, Batman is awesome. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. It was... I'm looking forward to more. Uh, it was a redemption of sorts. And also, I, I appreciated just the age in which we live, where people on the internet can demand that a director take back over the project he started on and produce it and People, I think they spent $70 million extra wow. on the film to do this project. Like, what a time to be alive <laughs> where that happens. Like, we're not just spoon-fed, you know, one kind of film. The fans have a voice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was great. Watch it in four hours or in parts, whatever your, your <laughs> taste may be. All right, well, leaning into your superhero love. I like it. I guess so. Well, this was a jam-packed episode. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for those who have been listening this whole yeah. time. We've been Huge so encouraged by your feedback. Send us more. Tell us what you wanted to talk about next. And we appreciate you all. Thanks. We do.